Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. Brand new edition of Flyers Daily for Wednesday, May 4th. May the 4th be with you. That's my Darth Vader voice. Uh, coming up in just a second, Bill Melter will join us. We'll break down the Chuck Fletcher press conference. And let me just say this before we get to Bill. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people on social media, and they want to see outrage from the general manager. When you've had three of the last four seasons go the way they've gone for the Flyers, you know, anger is something that is prevalent. And rightfully so. But what I tend to pay attention to more than the words at a press conference are actions. Words don't mean anything to me anymore from general managers. You can say the right things. You can say the wrong things. But ultimately, all that matters is the actions of a general manager. How many times have we gotten the, quote, vote of confidence for a coach or an executive? In sports, I'm not just talking about the NHL. I'm talking about any sport. Oh, yeah, we love the job that our manager's doing. We need to be better, blah, blah, blah. But I've got all the confidence in the world in Coach X. Three weeks later, Coach X is fired and looking for a new job. That's because those what you say publicly, you're never going to tip your hand. And what you say doesn't matter. It's what you do. So that's a big element. That's how I go into all these things. You know, for years and years, I got caught up in what was being said. And I would freak out. But I come to realize over my now, geez, 30 years in broadcasting, that only thing that matters in sports is what they do, not what they say. And Chuck's not going to tip his hand. He said we're going to be aggressive in every facet this offseason. And damn well, they should be. And if they're not, people are going to be mad. I don't know how aggressive they should be. I don't think that they should be overly aggressive. I think the aggressive retool to me, that's, that's kind of how he defined it. But I think that for me, I think this is a two-year process, not a one-year process. And if you heard Chuck, there's a lot to take care of. There are some good elements, yes, with some of the young players in the college guys that signed and but there's a lot of areas that they either need a lot to go right or they need to fix and can that be done so let's bring him in right now to talk about the biggest takeaways of chuck fletcher's end of season press conference from nhl.com hockeybuzz.com and philadelphiaflyers.com it is bill Meltzer. bill how you doing i am doing all right um yeah uh you know as we're recording this it's uh maybe about two hours since the press conference finished um, and the number one takeaway, truthfully, before we get into the details, is there's a lot of work to do this offseason, which we knew going in. Yeah, no doubt. And they're not in, uh, you know, oblivious to that fact that there is a lot to accomplish from a head coach uh, perspective to reshaping this roster, the effect of the young players that are in the organization, some of which we got a pretty good look at this year. But let's start with the head coach part of it because Mike Yo was uh, notified yesterday, I believe what Chuck said on Monday, that he would not be the next head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, they are. We'll talk to Mike throughout this process of finding a coach and seeing if there's something that works for not only the organization but works for him to remain with the franchise. Uh, but uh, no big shock with that that element of it. No, um, you know, and unfortunately the the record um, you know, for the season, but also after the coaching change kind of dictated there there was going to be change. I, I mean, Chuck 
Chuck let off by saying, and he was true. I mean, Mike was put in a very tough situation where it was going to be very, very, very difficult to uh, try to turn things around from, from what he took over with. So no, it's, it's not a, it's not a surprise at all, but I mean, Mike being a, a good hockey guy, a good person on top of that, you know, it's, you, you know, you never like hearing that news, but hopefully, I mean, he'll, he'll land on his feet. It'll either be another coaching opportunity somewhere or they'll find something for him within the Flyers organization that works. So, I mean, ultimately, you know, Mike will be fine. You know, Chuck said that they haven't begun their, you know, getting their list together for the coaching search and that they're going to sit down with the, the hockey ops department and Danny Briere and Brent Flair and, and Barry Hanrahan, everybody uh, are across the board to develop that list, what they're looking for in a coach, and then start to interview some candidates. I wasn't necessarily buying that they haven't begun that process. I tend to think that that's probably been going on for, for quite some time. I agree. There's at least, there's at very least a long list. Yeah. You know, I mean, because AD was fired back in mid December and some of the guys who were out there in December, they're still out there now. Right. So, and there may be some additional guys and I could see, you know, okay, do we, part of the discussion is being okay. If somebody might be on your short list, do you sit back and wait a little longer? But I uh, know I, I believe there have to have been discussions at least on a, on a, you know, what your shortlist may end up looking like. And then, and then going from there, I don't, I don't think they're just at the very beginning of the process. I don't. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, the funny thing is, is if you go, well, there's an assistant coach in Tampa or an assistant coach and wherever, and we may want to consider that guy, but there is risk to that because if you have a guy that you like that is available now, he could be hired before you get a chance to really even talk to some of those other guys. So there is a balancing act here, isn't there? There, There's absolutely a balance act and if you have somebody who might be on your your very short list the final two final three and if you you wait and you know you lose out on that candidate who very well you know very well might have been been the guy ultimately you know i mean do you benefit from that i and also and and chuck said you know everybody's aware what the the timeline looks like in the off season as to you know when free agency starts when the draft is all those kind of things but I mean, ideally, you would like to have your coach in place fairly early in the process, and that also plays into what your off-season priorities will end up looking like. Yeah, I mean, obviously, part of that is past. You know, you judge sometimes judge people on past behavior. Chuck Fletcher hired Elaine Vino seven days after the season. I'm not saying he's going to hire this coach, you know, next week or Sunday. Well, I guess would be seven day, or Friday would be seven days, but. Um, you know, he said it, it wasn't imperative that the coach be in place before the draft. And that's another thing where maybe I wasn't really buying what he was saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, at, why, why is it so important, in your opinion, to have that, you know, coach in place? Because if you want to build this roster and you're talking about trades and those kind of things. You want to you want to have full buy in from the coach and have his voice heard in building the roster that he's going to go to war with. Right. That's that's exactly right. Um, you know, and, and there may be guys who he's coached before who, uh, I mean, coaches throughout time and never changes. There, there'll be, there'll be guys who they've had before who they have interested in, in bringing them, you know, bringing in as either as a free agent or, you know, as, as a trade candidate. Um, and also on top of that too, you know, some coaches, uh, you bring in, if you're, if you're trying to develop young talent. The, the teacher kind of coach and some kind of some coaches are more, more the kind of guy you bring in 
if you're looking to make the next push towards, you know, towards contendership. So, you know, um, I, I think that the choice of coach will dictate a lot of where the team heads in the off season. Um, you know, and, and Chuck said it should be, he's anticipating a combination of looking for help for now, but also, also young players being, being part of the mix too. I mean, honestly, I think they'll get focused in more once there's a, there's a coach in place, more of a direction. And it's kind of what we talked about, Bill. You know, I know Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic asked about the aggressive retool concept and, you know, versus rebuild. And Chuck kind of landed, in my opinion, with his answer, kind of it was in the middle in a lot yep. of ways. It was about the long term. It wasn't about something to, to sell out for now without, you know, throwing throwing the future to the wind. He knows he's got a lot of young players and he needs to develop them further. And that's an asset for the organization, despite the fact that it's not necessarily – high-end talent yeah i mean you're talking about players can come in and compete take spots and you know towards the middle end of the line and so maybe some guys you know some guys uh maybe higher than that but you don't you don't go in counting you know let's say owen tippett you don't you don't go in saying okay you know owen tippett's a guy we're gonna look for 30 you know we're gonna need 30 goals out of him next year right it's a player who's young who's shown hints of ability shown shown flashes of it you know you know what his skill set is but if you have an opportunity to upgrade, you know, you, you, you seriously look in that direction. Of course you have a cap to manage too. So yeah, it, it is kind of, it is kind of in the middle. And I think that when the, when there's a, a coach in place and a, a, you know, a true off season plan in place that gets focused in a little bit more, you, you can't really stay just down the middle, um, yeah. just down the middle doesn't work. So, you know, you need, you need to decide a more definitive course and, and follow it. But I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about a couple of days after the season ended, you know, and, and uh, listen, there's not a coach in place yet. You know, they haven't, they haven't negotiated like with, you know, Travis Sanheim to see, can we extend them? And there, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other, there's a lot of other things that have to fall into place or at least have a, a more a clearer picture of before you get to, uh, you know, where, where you might go between the draft and the start of free agency. I mean, there's, there's so many variables, you know, Chuck had a very active off season last year, Bill, this one has the potential to be even more active, doesn't it? It does. I mean, there could be, there could be a lot of moves, you know, if, if you go back to the 1920 season, um, he made, he made a number of, a number of moves, of which I think the consensus among a lot of people is there were smaller moves, but there were smaller moves that were all geared towards filling a specific need, right? So they brought in Niskanen, they brought in Braun, um, they brought in uh, Pitlick for a year, and all of those guys filled a filled a specific role and specific need very well. They didn't. That was not a year they went out and did anything really splashy. No, um, you know, but uh, you're talking about a 33 year old Niskanen you know, at the time, the, Pitlick, a role player. Uh, right. In the Gudis trade, right. and I mean, I mean, you're you're looking at not a lot of big things, but yielded big results. Exactly, and then and and that's the case. But you know, there's a there's a lot of things there's a lot of things that need to go right. You know, there there are players that they're optimistic of for for bouncing back. Like they mentioned, Travis Konechny, that he finished the year pretty well and he led the team in points. But you know, they need they need from Konechny not just seasons ago when he was an all-star, but something north of that, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, can, can we sit here today on, on May the 3rd and say, you know, I, I'm I'm very confident he's going to get there. You're, you're hopeful, 
right? And you can say that with, with other guys too. You're hopeful, you know, there, there's a, there's an opportunity to do it, but uh, you know, to, to go, you know, you can't, you can't go and say, okay, we, we know this and we know that there was a little bit, there was a little bit more in, in 2019. Um, you know, there, I mean, like, like Giroux was a, you know, at the time it was a year removed from this 102 point season. Right. So, you know, I, I think that there, I think there's a little more guesswork right now, unfortunately. Um, but there's also a lot of opportunity as well. Yeah, one of the pieces that has got high consequence, obviously is Ryan Ellis. And he spoke on that. Um, they said, they'll basically know a little bit more in June or July. If that treatment plan that is in place for what is called a, quote, multi-layered injury, which means, I guess, I guess that means multiple different elements of an injury or different areas, um, but very hopeful yeah. that he will be back to 100% and be ready to play game one next season. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I think that I think there was there was something very telling with, with all of that, that they're going to, you know, the, they have this period of time here that uh, through step up training in the gym, physical therapy, eventually work his way up to skating again. And, um, you know, and then, then when you get into around July, that'd be when guys would be really, you know, start a lot of their serious training anyway. If he seems on target, then you're not necessarily going into the, you know, they're not necessarily going to the marketplace looking for a defenseman. What I took from that is if it's iffy, they may have to. Yeah. And that'll, you know, that's robbing Peter to pay Paul because it's going to take away an area that he may try and improve the team up front if he has to do that, because you just don't have, you know, an infinite number of cap dollars to to deal with. So um, one of the things he did mention as well in that regard is that maybe some players did come back a little too early from injury last year. And they're going to look at the medical situation here because, you know, from preventing injuries and having those signs that, you know, maybe a player needs a rest or, you know, those elements, sports science, if you will, um, to how they treat injuries and when players return. That that was refreshing to hear that they're going to do a really big deep dive on that element. It's it's absolutely necessary. When you when you lose as many man games as the Flyers did this year, yep. you know, and, and uh, you know, I mean, you have to you have to address it, especially with so many key players who came back and then exited the lineup again. And you have to, you know, I mean, you're not doing, you know, you're not doing due diligence if you're not looking at, okay, how did this happen? How do we improve on it? Um, you know, some of it, some of it to, to an extent is just luck of the draw. Another part of it is, hey, maybe there are things in our control that we can, that we can be doing better. Um, you know, I, I think also too, a big part of the process is uh, there's a reliance on the, on the player to self-report how they feel. Right. Yeah. And players are wired to want to play. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, not, that, not that you minimize that, that aspect, because that's always going to be part of the process. But there have to be, I think, some systematic things you can maybe improve upon to, uh, you know, uh, either on the front end or in the back end of an injury, you know, to uh, to reduce. So, I mean, whatever you can do to minimize it, because you. You know, when a team misses, loses many man games as the Flyers did this year, it makes things really, really difficult. Yeah, because it's so consequential if you're just missing too many players and you have a 
you know, remnants, a lot of remnants of an AHL lineup, you're never going to have success in this league. You know, he did talk about depth, organizational depth with uh, young players, and they may be in a better situation to, to kind of deal with injuries because some injuries are going to occur and there's guys knocking on the door. Some guys need to prove they can still stay healthy, whether that's Tanner Lashinsky or Wade Allison. Uh, but he was also, you know, he also mentioned Ivan Fedotov, who finished the season in the KHL, had a tremendous year in the Olympics as well, and said they're going to do everything they can to get him signed. Obviously, it's complicated because he's a Russian player and what's going on with the Ukraine. Uh, but he's confident that we will be able to bring him over. And he did say he expects him to compete for the number two job if he comes over. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Um, you know, I, I followed that up by asking about, okay, well, what does that mean for Martin Jones? What does it mean for Felix yep. Sandstrom, who's an unrestricted free agent this summer? Um, now, Sandstrom, I could see, you know, signing a, signing a maybe two-year deal with the second year being, you know, uh, a one-way deal. Sometimes you see something like that, you know, where so, the, you know, I mean, if he's happy in the organization, they're happy with him. Uh, with Samuel Erson coming off of basically losing the whole year, they're going to need, you know, somebody with a little bit more of an AHL uh, track record anyway. So, you know, I mean, I, I could see something like that where they come back with Sandstrom and Erson again. And, you know, I, you know, and Fedotov, I mean, I mean, he's, he's a big wild card right now. Well, you have to, you have to see how he does in camp, how he does in preseason, you know, and, and but it certainly sounds like the plan would be for him to come in and compete right away, which which would seem to suggest that Martin Jones moved on. And seems to suggest that they'll spend dollars elsewhere, <laughs> right? You know, you use that yeah. savings yeah, well, in another area. Part of it there, right? Yeah, I mean, one thing he mentioned, too, with the goalies coming over, you know, it's not just the ice surface. He's played on a smaller ice surface over in the KHL. But, um, you know, I, one thing I was reading from, Semyon Barlamov, when he went back and played during the lockout year in Russia and came back, he was already an NHL goalie, went over, played in the KHL, and then came back and he cited exactly what Chuck cited about the big difference of playing in the NHL is the traffic in front and how to navigate that and track pucks. And Varlamov said when he came back, it was a real big adjustment for him to get back to that. Fedotov having never played in the NHL would be an even bigger adjustment, getting used to the traffic around the net. And that's one of the big things you got to learn how to deal with it at the NHL level. And, and if you go back to, uh, you know, uh, and not to uh, was a Flyers prospect for a while and had, had months against average. He'd originally been, actually I think the wild or and he, he kind of flopped, went back to Europe, and then then came back. Um, and it was a flop. But the big part of the reason why he flopped was the play gets around the net. He, he didn't like it. And, uh, you know, and, and fighting for that second save, that third save, when you have guys swatting away at you, you know, there's, there's a lot of contact around the net. He never, uh, you know, he never really adapted to that and, and competing for the those second and third saves. So, I mean, every indication is there's there's confidence that that won't be an issue, um, you know, for Fedotov. But, you know, but you don't, you don't know until you see the guy do it. I mean, it's funny how far the guy has come because after he was drafted, I don't think it was the year he was drafted. It may have been the next year. Um, so he was still a kid. I think he was still 19 at the time. But he came over for a Flyers development camp and he really struggled. You know, um, just uh, just getting getting situated in the crease, playing the angles, you know, just 
you know, I mean, he looked like someone who was just like brand new to the position sometimes. And that's, that's yeah. you know, that's just a 19 year old who, who didn't speak any English. And it was just, but you see how, you see how much he's developed in the years since then, the five, six years, whatever it is since, since that time. And, uh, you know, he's, he's come a long, long way. So, you know, he, uh, he took his time over in Europe. It wasn't like he was a, a prodigy over there. It was instantly starting. I think that benefits a goalie though. He, he worked his yeah. way into that role and now, now he's a much more mature player and, and he reads plays pretty well. Uh, and, you know, the reads you know, are different, a little different in the North American um, chance to develop a little differently because of the small rank. But I mean, you know, all, all the physical ability is there. So there's a chance. Yeah. I mean, the other thing with him too is, you know, when you're kind of work your way to get where you are, it's always a good thing. And it shows the organization that he's got that commitment to get better. And, you know, I, it, it'll be interesting. You know, I always consider what they say in these kind of press conferences. And there's, I always look at an agenda behind the words and, you know, to get the guy to come over. Yeah. You can battle for the number two spot. It's also something you need to say to get him to, to sign and come over. So let's not forget that part of it too. There's always an agenda behind the words. Uh, not saying that that's not the case, but um, that's part of the equation, in my opinion, at least. Uh, Bill, one of the other things, um, you know, he talked about being aggressive in the, this offseason when he was asking the question about aggressive retool versus rebuild, but being aggressive in all phases. And, you know, talking about, you know, it, their, their existing players, potential hockey trades that are out there and all of that. They were aggressive last year, I thought, in all phases. Will this be you know, from an optical standpoint, even more aggressive in all phases. And does that also apply to the coach? Because if you're going to be really aggressive with the coach, I mean, that tells me you're probably going big name. I, yeah, I, I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about some of the names before, you know, Paul Maurice, John Tortorella, those, those, those kind of guys. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you were going to go for a someone who's been an assistant in the league um, for a significant period of time, you know, but really doesn't have the head coaching track record that doesn't speak as much to aggressiveness. I, I, I do think that, you know, I, I do think that they very well, they very well might end up hiring a big name or at least have, you know, at least have one, one or two such names on, on their short list, wherever the, whatever direction they end up going. Uh, I mean, to me, the, the names are the same as the, the logical candidates are the same guys that we, we've discussed before, you know, the guys like Maurice. So, I mean, I, I think that that's, uh, you know, I, I think that's kind of some confirmation of that. And uh, the other thing, too, Jason, he said that it was interesting. I was citing it as an example, but he was talking about how, uh, you know, in, in 19, they moved down in the draft in, yeah. in the first round and then moved up in the second round. I mean, it, it doesn't mean that the Flyers' first round pick, whether it ends up being fourth or you win the lottery or whatever it is, you know, Hey, it's for sale, but it does mean they'll listen. I think that I think it means at least listen to what's out there. Yeah, and and you you look at that and you go, well, you're you're trading back. That's passive, not aggressive. Not always. You have to see the yeah. entire plan executed to know whether it was an aggressive plan or uh, a passive plan. You know, the other thing that I really liked that he said was because it's something I you and I have talked about ad nauseum, both on here and you know off offline at games or whatever through text messages that he said, we're going to take our time. It's got to, the next coach has to be the right guy. 
So I don't I don't care what the guy's name is. It just needs to be the right guy. This is this is a huge hire for Chuck Fletcher. It has to work. Well, I, I think, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, GMs only get so many hires, right? Yeah. So, you know, so he, he hired AV um, and, and uh, this will be his second re- really big name hire, um, you know, and they're paying AV for, for a number of years to come here too. So, you know, uh, I mean, uh, listen, I mean, the AV, the AV hiring worked out very well for the first year. And then the returns diminished rapidly. Um, yeah, you can't have that situation again, Jason. I mean, you, you even if you improve for a year, it has to be a long-term improvement. It can't be, you know, it can't be just a, you know, I hate to say flash in the pan, but that's almost what it was because for one year things improved dramatically, and then there was a rapid backslide, and you know, there's no no recovery that, that you can see yet. So, yeah, I mean, Chuck can't Chuck can't have that again. The the team can't have that again. Yeah, it looks like 1920, basically, when you look at three of the last four years, is the outlier. That's not more of what yeah. they might be. The It's the outlier right. at this point when you look at the last three or four years. So, I mean, he took over in the in the fourth year it, midway through that season when Ron Hextall was let go. But um, but that looks like the outlier at this point. Um, last thing, you know, he, he speaks today and there's a lot – to be taken care of in this off season, a lot of moves to be made. Um, I, I'm trying to think kind of like what's next, what, you know, the, the draft lottery is coming up on May 10th. That'll be a big indication. You know, if they win the draft lottery, I imagine there's an availability there. And then you really start to take shape for this, this draft process and maybe things heat up real, even more so with the coach at that point. Uh, I would, um, yeah, I would think so. And, and I mean, honestly, the coach coach thing, I think will go on regardless yeah. You know, but but in terms of maybe seeing, you know, maybe maybe getting towards the end of that process. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see something coming down after the draft lottery, not very long after at that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the draft lottery be a week ago yesterday. So, I mean, it's not far off. We'll find out where they're going to pick. They have the fourth best odds to land the number one overall pick. And we'll see how that plays out. Bill, I'd call you in on short duty here today because uh, – there was so much there to discuss. I just wanted to get your impressions on it as well. Thanks for doing this as always. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back Friday with another brand new episode as the world turns or as the sands through the hourglass, the days of our lives are the flyers. Uh, rebuild stuff at PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. We'll talk to you on Friday on a brand new Flyers Daily. We get-